welcome back to the On Iowa podcast. I'm Leah Van. I'm your Hawkeye beat writer for the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Today, I am joined by Tyler Barnes, who is the director of Iowa football recruiting. So, Tyler, how are you doing today? Good, good. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. It's uh, it's nice to you know finally see some uh, some pads popping, some footballs back out, and have a a normal uninterrupted camp so far. So we got our fingers crossed it stays that way. Yeah, I hope so too. I saw some pretty cool photos on uh, Instagram and Twitter with like the practice under the lights yesterday, which seemed pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's always it's always fun to get outside and under the lights, whether it's in Kinnick or back in our practice facility. And it was a perfect night for how terribly hot it was yesterday. It was actually just just absolutely perfect last night. It's fun. It brings a little bit of energy up under the lights and guys that uh, you know that they were flying around. It was it was fun to be out there. Oh man, that's so exciting. I'm, I'm like itching for my first football season on the beat, like ready for football to start. And I watched hard knocks last night. So I'm <laughs> that. I'm like on a high, I bought HBO for that. <laughs> hey, you get, you get your first taste, uh, you know, Friday with media day and then Saturday in Kinnick. So it'll be fun. It'll be good to get back in Kinnick with, uh, you know, some fans again. Um, you know, I think this is what our second or third time now since, since the pandemic had a couple in the spring. So it's always special for our guys to get into Kinnick and, and a bunch of new guys that haven't, you know, they haven't played in Kinnick yet. A bunch of guys that joined our roster in June. So um, maybe some nerves for those guys, but it's always good to get in Kinnick and sit inside there with some, uh, some fans in the seats. Well, and there's also, I think what we're not thinking about too, is like there's players that haven't really played a lot in front of fans yet. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's, it's crazy to think just how young our roster is, you know, when you're just looking at, and we talked at spring ball to how many guys had been through a spring ball on our team. Um, you know, more than half the guys on the team had never really been through spring ball. Kind of same thing with fall camp. It's uh, it's new to these guys. So um, but they're doing a good job. And it's, you know, everybody, everybody's moving forward and trying to get better, you know, one day at a time. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to first, since I am new to the beat and I'm still getting to know the coaches and the personnel. Um, I think what would be really interesting is if you shared with me your story of how you got into the position that you are today like did you picture yourself always being in recruiting or what so yeah just give me your your background yeah so actually you know I went to a small division three school out of high school um in Naperville Illinois and then uh, I was there for my freshman year and I transferred to Iowa um I actually transferred here as an athletic training major I knew I you know I always knew I wanted to work in sports I just wasn't 100% sure you know how or what I was going to do um got here as an athletic training major didn't really like the the path that that was going down just wasn't for me um, shifted gears and it was a business major and got my, you know, I got my undergrad degrees. I had one in finance and then one in sports and recreation management. Ultimately got my master's degree in sports and recreation management too, all three from Iowa. Um, and I was fortunate enough. I did a bunch of, of different things when I first got to Iowa, you know, I worked at the rec fields lining the, the softball and, and baseball fields. Um, I worked for the Hawk shop, you know, slinging gear outside of Kinnick stadium, sitting in trailers, <laughs> you know, selling those was in Carver quite a bit. Uh, I was just trying to find a way to be around athletics. Um, and, you know, at the same time, I was just repetitively shooting out emails to, you know, the football program, was trying to get my foot in the door to do anything in a support staff role that could possibly help. And was fortunate enough that I got a chance to work in recruiting. Um, and at that point, you know, in 2008, our support staff was uh, much smaller than it is now. Um, there were really just kind of, honestly three main guys, four main guys off the field that weren't coaches that were in charge of stuff away from, you know, the actual football team. So, I tried, you know, I, I got my foot in the door and I tried to stick around as much as possible just to make myself available for whether it was recruiting operations, you know, research projects for the coaching staff, whatever they needed. Tried to just show that, you know, I was willing to help and I was willing to learn and uh, really took a liking to recruiting. You know, I knew a lot about it coming out of high school, obviously, 
um, didn't know as, as much in depth as, as I would, you know, come to find out when I got here, but, um, you know, it started with it that day, plugging in DVDs. Um, I got here right after VHSs were kind of done. Uh, it was in the DVD era at that point. So we take DVDs and, um, my first office I shared with about two or three other student assistants was a closet. Um, and we would take DVDs and double them into our system, uh, and make them available for our coaches to be able to watch recruiting film and kind of catalog those. Um, and, you know, just do a bunch of kind of odd jobs, just a bunch of the, the not so glamorous work that, nobody really knows about just to obviously, you know, help the recruiting process become a little bit more efficient and easier for our coaching staff. And um, I was really fortunate to kind of stick around, you know, I was here from 2008 to 2012. Um, I ended up leaving in 2000, spring of 13 to go to Vanderbilt university. And I was there for three years in a recruiting role, um, you know, similar to what I do now. And then was really fortunate in 2016, I got a chance to come back to Iowa and, and have been here ever since. So, it's a, it's a little crazy thing. I'm starting year 10 with the football program. It's really flown by, but, um, you know, just the things you learn here under Coach Ferentz and our staff and just the way, the way we operate, and, you know, it's having the identity that we have. Um, and it's you know, just you learn so much underneath him. And it was good to get away from here for three years and get into a different part of the country, into a different conference. Obviously, the SEC is a pretty competitive conference. And just kind of, you know, just kind of, you know, spread my wings a little bit, get a different feel for how things are done in different parts of the country with different staffs. And um, it was the best thing that could have happened. I didn't really want to leave Iowa at that time. Opportunity kind of presented itself and, and uh, it was the best thing I did. You know, I learned a lot in my three years away from here. Um, had a chance to meet a lot of great people and work with some really good people too. And then, uh, you know, it's coming back here. It's, it's been really fun. And just the transition that recruiting has made since I've started um, to now is, is, is kind of wild to think about, you know, just from, you know, social media obviously has had a huge impact on recruiting, um, you know, from just the communication standpoint to just the coverage. I mean, you look at 247 sports rivals, um, you know, some of those bigger, bigger companies that have really, you know, they've been around for a while, but they've really emerged within the last few years. I mean, I mean, they cover everybody, you know, it's really hard to, to have a guy that's kind of a hidden gem anymore these days, you know, because as soon as one offers put out or if he does something in a game or at a track meet, whatever it is, you know, it seems like everybody, you know, everybody's got access to how that person performed and, and you're on that kid, you know, pretty quick. Um, but it's been fun to be a part of. And, you know, each and every year you've got to kind of reassess how we do things and, and the way we operate and keep with the times, obviously. But, you know, technology has been a huge help. It's made things much more efficient on my side of the job. Um, it's made things easier for our coaching staff, obviously. And it's, uh, it's, you know, I don't know where it's going to go in the next 10 years. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on with the transfer portal and the name image likeness right now. Um, that's all, you know, kind of new a little bit, but it's waters. We're all, we're certainly navigating together and just kind of year by year we're going through and seeing what we can do to adjust to this and how we can keep operating, trying to win football games and bring in quality, quality recruiting classes. Yeah. I'm interested in what you learned at Vanderbilt and, kind of how the culture was, you know, obviously SEC culture is so much different than Big Ten, and, but how was your job different over there and like kind of how was recruiting different in that area? Because you're still at like a, an SEC program that's not necessarily the best, you know? For sure. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, you know, everybody always asks, you know, what were your challenges at Vanderbilt? And it's honestly not to, you know, not to coach speak or anything that there weren't challenges. I mean, it was a unique school. You know, we were, we were a top 15 academic institution competing in one of the top, you know, power five conferences in the country. Um, and, you know, the, there were similarities between, you know, Iowa and Vanderbilt in terms of our recruiting boards. We like to keep them small. There were obviously certain fits we were looking for, certain types of guys. You know, at Vanderbilt, obviously, academics played a huge part. So, you know, academically, if you weren't above the line, uh, we really couldn't recruit you. Um, and I spent my first year with, uh, you know, James Franklin down there, who's now the head coach of Penn State. And 
and, you know, he was, he's a relentless recruiter and his staff was the same way. And just, uh, you know, what opened my eyes is just his attention to detail and just everything that went into the recruiting process was just so much different. Um, as a head coach, you know, he was hands-on with everything we did, um, from the first communication with the kid to, you know, through the visits with the parents, um, it was good. You know, it just, it, it really taught me to kind of look at things a little bit different in terms of just the operation of the whole recruiting process with the kid. Um, and then down there, yeah, the competition is a little bit different. You know, it's, you know, the whole, the whole conference is pretty relentless when it comes to recruiting. Um, the best part about being down there for three years is you have to be relentless, but at the same time, we kind of stuck within our framework and, Hey, we, we've still got to find the right fit. We've got to find the right guys. We're looking for an academic minded kid who happens to be pretty good at football. And, you know, unfortunately he's got to be able to line up on Saturdays against Alabama LSU as well. So, um, you know, trying to find that mix was, was really cool. It was really good. You know, I love I love the types of kids we recruited down there. You know, we still look for kids that obviously were, you know, academically above the line, but, you know, had, you know, mid Midwestern values, you know, that were tough, smart kids that love football, that really wanted to compete. Um, and it was, you know, it's not too much different, um, but just being exposed to just, you know, just a different area of the country and just different operations is always good. You know, obviously it's, it's great that we have continuity and stability here and, and we've got an idea of how we'd like to, you know, work through our procedures and the recruiting process, but th there's nothing better than getting some other experience and just going out and, and seeing how different things are done uh, in different places too. You know, it's always going to help you grow. You're going to learn a lot. Um, one thing that was unique down there, you know, I went through two head coaching changes down there, um, worked with, you know, I think six different coordinators, three strength coaches, wow. uh, which was very different than here. You know, stability is, is what I was about down there. It was, it was unfortunately a little unstable in my three years down there, but you know, it kind of taught you that it's, I mean, you've got to, in this role, you know, no one day is the same. You've got to have plan A, B, C, D ready at all times. And you've got to be able to adjust on the fly and being able to work through three years where it was pretty tough um, through those three years, just with different curveballs coming our way. I think it just, you know, it made me better at my job and, um, you know, just kind of prepared me for really real life and recruiting and, and being able to come back here and kind of, you know, get back into a real stable role and, I've seen it on one side and, and to be able to do what we're able to do here at Iowa is, is it's, it's been a tremendous help. It was a great experience. You mentioned earlier um, the way recruiting has changed over the years, especially with social media and then recruiting websites, especially too with rivals 24 seven. Now there's going to be on three, which is another yep. one that's getting added to the mix started by the same guy. Um, obviously there are reporters who cover the team with these outlets, but I, I generally wonder, like, do y'all consult those as resources? Like how have you utilized those recruiting websites? Yeah. It's, it's funny you mentioned that because two, four, seven is based out of Nashville. Um, it's mm -hmm. actually, so it's on three, obviously Shannon Terry, who started both, um, you know, so when, you know, before I went down to Nashville at Vanderbilt, I, I had a pretty good relationship with some of those national guys that covered recruiting. But obviously, when I lived down in Nashville, I became really close with, you know, four or five of the, the national guys. Um, and, and for sure, we talk, you know, because they want insight on your recruiting class and your team as they're writing articles, obviously. And, um, and they're a great resource, too. You know, and I've become, you know, pretty close friends with some of these guys. And, and they know and understand when you're at certain programs, the types, types of kids you're trying to recruit, you know, how we operate. So, you know, I'll get texts, you know, weekly from some of these guys, Hey, you should check out this kid. You know, I think he'd be a really good fit or, Hey, I found this guy hasn't really picked up much yet. Or they're even just texting me, Hey, what do you think about this guy? This is our rating, you know, or are we far off? So, um, you know, everything I do in recruiting, obviously the media is, it's, they're our friends and, and those guys specifically, you know, it's, they've got a job to do. I don't always agree with their, their ratings and their rankings and certain things. Um, and that's okay. They're, they're doing it to, you know, they've got to get clicks and it's part of their business, but um, it, they're always a resource. And there's a bunch of really good guys out there covering recruiting and it's tough. I mean, it's really hard. They're, 
they're watching probably as many kids as we are, if not more. Um, and it's a little bit different because they're doing it on a, a national rankings basis where we're doing it to fit, to fill a team and, and to, to create a team here. So, um, but yeah, I, I developed a lot of really good friendships with those guys down in Nashville and maintained really close to those guys. And, and they're certainly a resource for us. Yeah. And I, we spoke a little bit earlier this summer about how recruiting has changed over the years, as far as official visits, <clears throat> official visits, the dead period, all those kinds of things. So what do you think have been the most substantial changes to recruiting these past couple of years and how has that impacted your job? Yeah. You know, I think, I think social media and technology have been huge. Um, you know, obviously just, you know, the invent of huddle, you know, I talked earlier when I started in the closet, putting DVDs into our system, you know, now we have huddle, which is, um, it, it makes it really simple for us to watch film on really any kid across the country. Um, and really, at, you know, at the snap of our fingertips, I mean, they can play Friday night, and we can watch their film at 10 p.m. that Friday. Um, and we got the ability, you know, kids create highlights, we've got the ability to spend through full game tapes, which is helpful. And then just, again, just social media kids being out there, you know, kids being able to be on social media, being able to reach out to you, us being able to maybe start initial conversation via Twitter um, with those kids. And then again, just the coverage of things. It's um, there's more, there's just more information. And, and the tougher part when you have, you know, technology like this, that's increased like this in social media is you're getting so much more information. Now you have to find a way to organize it, sift through it and find what's helpful to you. Um, you know, cause you can certainly have information overload at times. So uh, that's one thing I think, you know, we, we try and do a good job of here. You know, it's, we're never going to, offer a kid based off of other offers or what he did at a, a camp somewhere a showing on Twitter. Um, but it certainly helps us gather names and kind of, you know, create our overall recruiting board. And if we see guys kind of putting them on our board and starting the recruiting process from there, um, you know, and, and another big shift obviously has been, you know, just the transfer portal, you know, and it's really transfers. They've, they've, that's nothing new. They've been out there forever, you know, and, and the transfer portal came up, I think about four years ago now. Um, and it's just become much more public now when kids go into the transfer portal. So that's something the media really latched on to, I think, early on. Uh, and it was a big deal for about a year, year and a half. And I feel like that's slowed down a little bit. Um, but it, it is nice to have the transfer portal knowing that, hey, if a guy's in there, um, you know, for us, we're not going to swim in that those waters very often. You know, some schools try and live off the transfer portal for us. You know, we're going to focus on guys with Midwest ties, maybe guys we recruited coming to high school that we have some familiarity with. Um, you know, and that, that's kind of, and if we have a, a really, you know, a true, true need at a position or two, you know, we're going to look pretty heavily in there, but for us, it's, it still comes down to finding the right guy and the right fit. Um, and, and that's, you know, the portal's got a bunch of guys in there and a bunch of talented kids, but if it's not somebody from, you know, the Midwest footprint or somebody we're really truly, you know, you know, recruit out of high school or know a lot about, you know, know the high school coach, whatever it may be, you know, we may, we may not go that route, but it's definitely a tool we have at our disposal, which is, which has been pretty nice. And then, you know, now the name image likeness is obviously new and kind of the hot button topic here starting July 1st. And <clears throat> it's still yet to be seen on how it's going to affect, you know, the entire recruiting process, you know, as, as much as we, we try and educate our kids on campus now and our guys is, you know, there's going to be, you know, the top 5%, they're probably going to make a decent amount of money. Um, and then everybody else, it just kind of depends. Uh, but we've got a good plan in place, you know, a really good educational system for our guys. And I think a big bonus for us is we, we, you know, we're a pro team in our state. There are no pro teams in the state of Iowa. So, you know, everybody loves the Hawkeyes. Um, so there's certainly opportunity here. It's just trying to educate our guys on how to best, you know, keep put your best foot forward. You know, let's make sure you're aligning your your brand with, you know, corporations or companies that, that fit who you are and what you're trying to be. Um, and that's just constant education and um, you know, just really just talking to our guys and showing them examples. But so far, our guys have done a great job. 
um, you know, parents always have questions about the support structure in place for name, image, likeness, and kind of the plan and the recruiting process. And, um, you know, we do our best to answer those questions and give them our presentation on, you know, our flight program and our um, partnership with Influencer and, and what's available. Uh, but I think it's going to take, you know, a good year of seeing what our guys are currently doing and maybe some of the deals that, you know, they've worked with and kind of see where it goes um, here in the recruiting process. You know, you've seen some stuff across the country of guys apparently making six, seven figures, which, which may be true. I don't know. I don't know if I believe all that just yet. Um, but, you know, those are guys that are at the Alabamas and the Ohio States. So, you know, typically we're not going to go toe to toe with those guys too often with recruits, but um, it'll be interesting to see just, you know, if it separates the powers or, you know, if it's kind of the same way it is, you know, the same way it's been in terms of, you know, they might get to pick who they get um, and, and we'll keep recruiting and trying to find, you know, the right fit multi-sport athletes, Midwest kids as much as we can. Yeah, I was going to say there seems to be a brand when it comes to y'all's method of recruiting and finding that Midwestern kid who probably dreamt of like playing in Iowa. And you really like latch onto that and you don't really like go after what necessarily what everybody else is after, which I think is really unique to this program. Um, You mentioned the transfer portal, which I did write a story recently about like, you know, the story that kind of got buried this summer because of name, image, and likeness is the fact that you can now get take an undergraduate transfer without him having to sit a year. Um, sure. So that is a huge change to the transfer portal. I don't know if that changes your approach at all. And I know that Kirk said a little bit of Big Ten Media Days that it doesn't. So I was wondering, like, what kinds of conversations have existed surrounding that new rule within the Iowa football program? Yeah, you know, it really hasn't changed our approach. Like I said, we're still going to, you know, we're still going to work off, you know, if we have a a true position of need or if we've got some familiarity with, you know, said recruit. But, you know, what's going to be interesting, you see a lot of these MAC schools and these, you know, MVC schools that have good players that, you know, before if they transfer, they'd have to sit out a year. Uh, Well, now you don't have to. So these kids that think they can play at a higher level and and want to play at a higher level, you know, maybe they're going to be more inclined to jump in the portal, uh, you know, at this point because there's no, you know, there's no year punishment for them. Um, so, and, and that, those are the waters we're probably going to swim in a little bit more, you know, I mean, a lot of the kids we recruit at the end of the day that maybe we don't offer out of high school or kids we're trying to get to walk on here, um, they, they may end up going to Mac schools or NVC schools. So there's going to be a lot of familiarity. Um, you know, NVC is kind of in our footprint, obviously with the North Dakota state, South Dakota state, North Dakota, South Dakota, you and I, um, so it'll be interesting to see if, you know, more of those kids if they have a really good year or two at those schools say, Hey, I think I can play at the big 10 level or the ACC level, Pac-12, whatever it is. You know, I'm going to put my name in the portal. Um, and that's where I think there will be a shift for us a little bit. We're obviously, we're going to keep an eye open for those guys, but you know, in the years past, they didn't have the luxury of, of entering the portal unless they had graduated knowing that they could play right away. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that shift kind of takes place. But it's like I said, and coach Ferentz said the same thing. It's not going to shift our process. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to have a class of 20 kids and say we're going to leave 10 spots for transfers. You know, one thing we've, we've done, you know, and Coach Ferris has done for 22 years is, you know, we like to develop talent. We like to recruit high school kids. We like to get them in our program and, and you know, see what they turn into after two, three, four years. Um, and, and I think the biggest, you know, a big part of the reason we're able to develop the talent we do is, you know, a lot of these Midwest kids, you know, they're not just football players all year long. They may play football two and a half months a year and then they're on to, you know, basketball or wrestling and then they're on to track and then in, like Iowa kids and they play baseball in the summer. Um, so, so when you recruit a kid like that and you know that he's not going to camps in the summer and he's not at the rivals camps and the Under Armour camps and he's playing football literally all like just in the fall, you know, you look at him, okay, he's a really good player on tape, but think about what his upside is going to be 
Like, what do you think this guy's going to be when he's in a, in a division one weight room all year round and he's just doing football all year round, you know, you look at the ceiling, the ceiling's much higher. Um, in terms of the rankings process with some of these websites, I think that's why, you know, some of the guys we get, you know, they may be, you know, say, for example, a mid-level three-star kid, but he was a four-sport athlete at high school. Take Tristan Wirfs. You know, Tristan mm-hmm. was a, a good football player. I don't know if I would say he was a great football player in high school, but he was a good football player, but he was a dominant wrestler. He was an insane track athlete. He was a really good baseball player. Um, Tyler Linderbaum's kind of the same way. So you get some of these guys that, you know, maybe if they're in Florida or Texas, maybe they're not four-sport athletes. Maybe they're playing football all year long. You know, the guys we're looking at, their ceilings are so high because they're playing all these other sports. And that's why we put such an emphasis on finding multi-sport athletes. It's really important to us. We've had a history of it. And, and when guys get here, they just have so much more room to grow as football players. That's when you see them develop over a two, three, four-year span. And it's, uh, it's when you see guys that come here that nobody knows about, Josie Jules, and, and they turn out to be the really good football players in the NFL, you know, NFL draft picks. The multi-sport athlete thing, when I noticed when I was a sports reporter in Mason City, it's like still alive in Iowa. And to me, coming mm-hmm. from Texas, it's not that much alive. Like, it's not a thing. Is that something you see? And I know that there's like, you know, seven on seven is starting to be everywhere. Do you see yep. that becoming more prevalent in Iowa or do you see Iowa still like the state of Iowa I'm talking about, like sticking with like raising these multi-sport athletes? Yeah, you know, I, th- I mean, seven on seven certainly is starting to make its way into the Midwest. And I mean, you can include Illinois, Minnesota, Nebraska in that as well. Um, but, but a lot of the guys were still recruiting. They may play seven on seven, but they're still doing their spring sports, whether it's AAU basketball or, or track, whatever it may be, baseball. Um, you know, I don't know if seven on seven is really, truly going to make its way to Iowa the way it is in Texas, Florida, Arizona. Um, you know, just kind of knowing how most of these kids, especially in the state of Iowa, just how they, they grow up, you know, small town kids that, you know, they're, they, it's dependent on those guys to, to make their baseball team, you know, a state championship team or to, to help their track team go, go, you know, go to state, whatever it may be. So I think there's a sense of pride with a lot of these Iowa kids that, you know, it, it is my duty to, to play as many sports as possible and represent my school. Um, you know, we don't have a preference one way or the other. We're not going to tell a kid not to play seven on seven, obviously. Um, but we're very transparent in our process that we love seeing multi-sport athletes and we love seeing kids, you know, just compete in different arenas other than the football field. Um, it's, it's great to see a kid, you know, go compete on the basketball court. He may not be a good basketball player, but just see how he competes and just what he does in, in kind of that arena. It's always it's always good. You know, it's kind of out of your comfort zone um, to, to see what they do. And it's, you know, we're always going to put an emphasis on that. And, you know, we'll see where seven on seven goes. I mean, it, it's starting to creep in the state, but it's, it's nothing like, you know, coming from where you're at in Texas. Um, I want to key on, on recruiting a little bit. When you know, going into the summer, was there like a number of recruits that you kept in mind? Like, this is how I want to end the summer. Like, this is how big I want this class to be. And then is that, how does that change over the fall? Like what are kind of your ideas in mind when you're going about this process? Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously as a recruiting guy, you want to, you'd love to get the bulk of your class done before, you know, camp starts, obviously, you know, we were really fortunate in in the last class in 21 where we were basically done, you know, minus a couple guys um, as we got through the summer there, even two years ago, you know, kind of similar, but you go back, you know, three, four years ago, we still had, you know, five, six spots that we had to fill in the fall. Um, you know, one thing Coach Ferris is big on, he loves, you know, he always talks about that there's always going to be under-recruited guys that are going to kind of come, you know, they're, they're going to come up in their senior year. You know, they're going to develop in their senior year. And those are the guys that are probably under-recruited because everybody's full at that point, you know, because it's been, 
you know, a big shift in recruiting is it's, it's a, you know, it's a sprint to fill up your class, you know, and I think one thing that coach Ferris does a good job of emphasizing here and our coaches do a good job understanding it too, is it's not a sprint. It's a marathon, right? There's going to be kids, especially in the Midwest, especially in Iowa, there's going to be a kid or two who emerges a senior year who may be under-recruited and, and, you know, do we have a spot for them? You know, we, we took, we took a linebacker late last year, Carson Shire, um, who was just that guy. He was a basketball player. He, he had some D1 basketball offers and um, it didn't really play out the way he thought it would basketball wise. And he had a huge senior year. Um, and, you know, in years past, if we were full, it would have been hard to take him. And even last year, we really had to make a spot for him. But for us, he was such a good player that, in state that we just couldn't pass up on him. Um, so this year, you know, I don't ever go into a summer saying, hey, this is the number we need to be at. Um, this is a unique year where we have a really small senior class on our roster. Um, the, the COVID years kind of affect some things, too, um, in terms of just numbers. You know, this year, the, the guys on our roster currently, we have uh, four guys that came back as COVID seniors, and they're basically freebies for us. They don't count on our scholarship chart. But anybody next year or the year after that wants to take advantage of that COVID year, they now become part of our count. So, uh, for example, our juniors right now, the guys that would be, or sorry, our seniors this year that are not COVID seniors, if they want to come back next year, they're going to take, you know, they're going to take a scholarship or two from incoming freshmen, guys that we're recruiting currently. So the numbers are kind of, you know, they're, they're very fluid. Um, and that's not conversations we've had with our seniors yet. We obviously want to let the season play out, but, you know, I think there's a couple guys that are seniors right now that that'll probably want to take advantage of that COVID year and come back for next year. So essentially, if, if we're going to recruit 15 spots this year, you know, they would take if those two guys come back, they're going to take two of those 15 spots. Um, so when you have a small class like this, you certainly got to be patient. Um, you got to make sure you're finding the right guys coming off a weird year, too, where we just had no in-person contact for you know about 18 months. Um, it's tough to be patient because everybody else is really starting to fill their classes up. But you know, I think right now we've got a really, really solid foundation to this class. Um, you know, we've probably got five or six more spots that we're looking to fill up in this class. And we feel really good about the board we have. You know, I think we'll have some good news coming here in the next week or two with a couple of guys. So maybe the fans will be at least happy about that. Um, but then it's really just trying to, you know, keep recruiting the guys on our board and then seeing some more senior tape on guys and just, you know, seeing who does develop and who are going to be those late bloomers. You know, because we've had a really, a really good history of late bloomers here under Coach Ferentz that you know, we've taken some guys that people might be scratching their head in December or January that end up being really good football players here. So, yeah, I think Kirk mentioned a couple of big names at big 10 media days. He said like AJ was a really late pick, like a really late grab, uh, George Kittle, just a couple of the name that, um, you know, pop into my mind. So the best is yet to come maybe. Um, yeah. Yeah. You never know. You know, you <laughs> never know. Um, when it comes to, so when I, I remember when I was in high school, there was one national signing day and it was February. Mm -hmm. Now yep. I feel like there's five, but there really is only two and it's yeah. December and it's February. And do you sure. know why that is? And what is the difference? And like, kind of, how does that, you know, what is your mindset going into those two different signing days? Yeah. So, you know, the December signing day has really truly become the traditional signing day now. Um, you know, I think it's, you know, last year I'd have to leave my numbers, but it's anywhere from 85 to 90% of kids that sign end up signing in December. Um, and it makes a lot of sense, you know, cause it's in the olden days when it was just February, you know, we get through our season and, and coaches are on the road after that, you know, for about a month and a half or so before signing day. And you're going out and you're at that point, you're trying to hold on to your guys because at that point, everybody's hungry. Coaches are out there. They're trying to flip kids. Are you sure you want to go here? You haven't signed yet. 
and, and unfortunately a lot of these kids, they just don't want to deal with it. And it was a stress on them. And it's just, so this is nice because now when December comes around, they can sign and nobody can talk to them. Nobody can pester them. Um, and, and they, you know, they're, they're set to go and they're, they're ready to go. And it kind of takes just a lot off their plate knowing that they can sign. Um, and it's made it a little bit easier in recruiting too, because now once we sign most of our class in December, our, our staff, we can now focus on the next class and kind of get some of that groundwork done for the next class and kind of get ahead on that next class. So it's been a, it's been a good, I think it's been a positive transition. I, I think the, the players enjoy it. You know, 97% of our classes since the December signing period is coming to date have signed in December. Uh, we've gotten a couple of guys late, obviously, if we need to fill spots or if we have early NFL guys that, that leave a year early for the NFL draft or transfers. So it's, it is nice to have two if you need to go out and find, you know, a guy or two, but, I think most most recruits would tell you that they just want to be done with the process by December. You know, they're so worn out with phone calls and now Zooms all the time and visits. I think they're just, you know, they're locked in on their decision. They want to sign and they want to just focus on what's next. Yeah. Um, so I was talking to, um, I think it was Kelvin Bell, and we were talking about recruiting. And he said that one of his region is like the Indianapolis area. Um, just because he has a familiarity. So he's like recruited guys like Tyrone Tracy and Kelvin Bell's like the defensive line coach, right? Yeah. So I'm wondering like, strategically speaking, how do you assign these coaches their like zones of the United States to recruit out of? And is it by position or is it by like familiarity first? Yeah, so it's, it's not really by position at all. You know, when we, when we recruit a kid and offer a kid, it's going to be a team effort. You know, obviously the area coach is going to be involved who, who may have found that that player the position coach is going to become very heavily involved, obviously, as a future position coach of that player. You know, our, our recruiting staff, we're going to be pretty involved with everything. The head coach is going to be involved. And then depending on what side of the ball that player is on, the coordinators are also going to be involved. Um, but when it comes to splitting up areas, you know, we're, we're pretty fortunate. We've had some stability on our staff here. So, you know, Coach Parker has been in Detroit for 22 years. You know, that's kind of his area. He knows it inside and out. Um, but when you have new hires like Coach Barnett, who just got here, you know, he's, he's been, he's from central Illinois. He's, he's recruited, he's worked in Ohio for a long time. So he knows the Cincinnati area extremely well. So you do kind of look for their backgrounds, you know, what are your ties? You know, what have you recruited before? Um, you know, Seth Wallace has, has helped recruit Chicago for a long time now, but he's, you know, he's been in Chicago by himself now for, I want to say four years. Um, and it's, it's really based on familiarity and just the relationships our coaches have with high school coaches in that area. Um, and the more constant you can keep things with those, you know, the better they're going to know those coaches in the area. And we may be recruiting a kid from high school X. And if we want to really know about a kid, we'll ask coaches from rival high schools. Hey, what have you heard about this kid? What do you think when you played, you know, played against some, any other sports, so on and so forth. So it's nice to have some, some continuity with our coaches in certain areas. Um, and they really own those areas. You know, it's, it's their area. They've got to know each and every player that comes out of there and, and the more you can be around there and the more the, the high school coaches can trust that coach, knowing who it is when he walks through the door, you know, the, the better off it's going to be for us. Um, and then, you know, when you have some coaching turnover or changes, you got to have a conversation with your staff. Um, you know, Seth Wallace was in Wisconsin for a long time in Minnesota and coach Polisek, who's no longer here. You know, when he, he joined the staff, he had recruited the same areas and he's from Wisconsin. So it made sense, you know, for him to take that over and, and Seth had, had been in those States for, you know, three years and he'd put a lot of work in there, but he knows that, you know, it's probably better off to have Coach Polisek in those areas because he knows it even better than he does. So you've got to have those conversations. And, and we talk yearly about shifts and whatnot. But um, as much as, in my opinion, as much as you can keep continuity in recruiting areas for coaches, the better off it's going to be just because you're going to get more honest answers. Um, it's easier to recruit those areas. 
Uh, and it's just, it's, we're, we're extremely fortunate that we've got, you know, great ties with, with coaches really all over the regions that we recruit. And it's, it's been really, really good for us. So um, yeah, it's uh it always starts with the area coach and then it, it transitions pretty quickly with a position coach, you know, as soon as we feel really good about a kid and they're ready to offer them. What can kind of, can, can like the change of coaching personnel, can that change some of the regions that you end up recruiting out of or just add to kind of your plate I know and then there, I know there's some guys on your roster that are from places like Georgia right yeah. where this is like not typically a place that Iowa will look to for its players so yeah is our what can kind of change with this world for sure you know coach Foster who was our previous running backs coach you know he was from Alabama um, and you know he had ties into Georgia so when he got here um, it made sense that we we tried to, you know, we put an effort into recruiting Alabama and Georgia. Obviously, that's how we got Tyler Goodson. Um, you know, we have a safety, Reggie Gracie from Mobile, that's with us here. So, you know, it's, it, again, any coach that comes in, you just got to look at, hey, what's your background? You know, what do you know? Liddell Betts, obviously, is from South Florida, right? So he's comfortable, you know, recruiting that area, Fort Lauderdale, Miami. Um, you know, Tampa doesn't have a ton of familiarity with Tampa, but, you know, he, he had been down there for nine years coaching, so he's got a bunch of contacts. So it made sense, hey, we're going to put Liddell in that area. So you just got to be strategic about how you do it. And, and coaches, you know, some coaches are going to have to go into new areas and that they haven't been in before, just based on kind of how things shake out. Um, but that's where we try and help them out. You know, the biggest thing is get here let's make sure, you know, fire off an email, some handwritten notes to every coach in the state, you know, just introduce yourself. Hey, how can we help? Do you have any prospects and kind of start building that relationship. And then when our coaches are on the road in the fall and the winter and then the spring, you know, they get a chance to go meet these coaches and really just keep developing and fostering those relationships. So, um, but recruiting is, it's, it's relationship driven. Um, that's with the high school coaches, it's with the recruits. You know, we're a little old school. We still like to involve the high school coaches as much as possible. Um, we want to hear from the guy that coaches these kids every single day, you know, because they're going to give us typically a pretty honest assessment of who the kid is, what he's about, you know, and whether or not he can fit up here. So it's a, uh, just with the speed of recruiting and technology, it's, it's become, you know, some of these high school coaches are kind of, they're not involved in the recruiting process as much as they probably want to be, but we, you know, we want to operate and we want to keep them in the loop the whole way through. It's just how we operate. We think it's great to have those relationships and it's, it's pays off in the, in the long run. Yeah. And I liked, I thought what was interesting was contacting the rival high school coaches on a certain yeah. player, like playing Absolutely. against, what is it like to play against this kid? I, that's something I didn't yeah. think about, you know, <laughs> I always felt like as a volleyball player, we would play, you know, one of our rivals was called Springtown. And I always had my best game against Springtown. So I was like, (laughs) if I was going to get recruited for volleyball, which it was for like a little bit. And then I decided like, no, I'm five foot five. I don't want to go to big school. Like, I was like, man, I want them to talk to Springtown coach. Cause after every game we played Springtown, she'd be like, I don't know why you're the only person you can always block our outside hitters. (laughs) Um, yeah, I think that's a really interesting perspective. Um, yeah, have you ever like called a rival high school and like had like a weird, you know, no, this kid is not that good kind of situation? For sure. Yeah, for sure. It happens all the time. And, and some of the coaches, you know, I mean, we there's their schools we recruit every single year. They're going to have kids every year. So obviously those relationships are really strong. And then there's some coaches that, that may have a division one kid every 10 years. So it's kind of new to them. Um, he may have a tendency to oversell his kid because he's excited that, hey, my kid's finally getting Division One interest. So, yeah, there's there's certainly times where we'll talk to rival high school coaches and they'll, they'll kind of give us the lowdown and give us the skinny on certain kids. And that that won't knock a kid off our board, but it's something we'll take into consideration. And, and we may talk to a couple more coaches to see, hey, does this kind of line up? Does this match what we're hearing? Um, but you want to dig as much as possible, obviously. And it's just all part of the information gathering process. 
um, that goes into identifying kids and really getting to know kids. But it's, uh, yeah, you get very honest answers from rival high schools coaches for the most part. But a lot of them, if, if the kid really is what we think he is, it's usually positive information they pass along. Yeah. Um, I'm curious too, like, especially in today's age, there's like strength facilities and there are people who own those strength facilities and train kids outside of like their high school program. Um, how have y'all viewed those facilities typically and those people? Yeah. Is it again, relationship based? Yeah, it is. You know, it's, and it's, it very much, it varies kid by kid. You know, you gotta, each kid you, you recruit, you gotta find out who his champion is, you know, is it his mom? Is it his dad? Is it both his parents? Um, does he come from a single parent home and maybe it's just mom and his strength coach or his trainer is, is kind of the dad figure. Um, you got to figure that out early on in the process and then you have to include them. You know, you want to talk to them too and just kind of get information um, and gather as much as possible, but it's, it's very much kid by kid. Um, each situation is different, but you know, the first thing you really just got to dig in and Hey, who is the decision maker? Who's going to influence this kid's decision? Who's, who's helping him out with what he's trying to, to navigate through these waters. Um, and you got to include everybody, maybe grandma, grandpa, aunt, and maybe, it may be just the high school coach. You know, there's a lot of kids where the high school coach is kind of caring for these kids and making sure they're getting to practice in school. So um, it certainly varies by kid, but you got to, in the process, you really have to include everybody, anybody that's going to be able to help you out with information and have any type of influence on their decision um, should certainly be part of the recruiting process. Um, I wanted to know what does a typical official visit look like in the fall? We've kind of already touched on like the summer and stuff this past summer, but now you're going into fall. Fans are back yep. in the stands. Things are happening again. Hopefully it stays that way. What does a typical official visit look like for a big time recruit? Yeah, so official visits in the fall, they're awesome because obviously our guys get to experience game day, which is it's tough to be game day in Kinnick Stadium, you know, and it's I'm excited for you to get to enjoy your first one here in uh, less than a month. Okay. Um, but it can be tricky, too, you know, because these guys are playing football games on Friday nights, you know, so typically you get 48 hours. So usually we like to get guys in here on Fridays, but if they're playing Friday night, you know, typically we'll get them out first thing cooking on Saturday morning. We'll try and get them into Iowa City. Um, you know, typically we'll, we'll pick them up the airport, we'll grab some food, you know, we'll get them kind of checked in their hotel real quick. And then from there, you know, we've got to, we, we've really got to get 48 hours worth of an official visit crammed into 36, if you will. Um, with that point, depending on our game time, you know, we may go to the team hotel and make sure they can see all the coaches and, you know, kind of see the players before their day gets started. We'll obviously have to do, you know, some of our academic stuff we will typically shift to Sunday. Um, but, you know, by the time they get here, usually, you know, we'll, hotel meal try and meet the coaches and then usually it's on to the game and then at that point you know they've got free time with our players the other downside of coming in season is they just don't have as much time with our players that they typically would get in the summer you know so obviously our guys aren't playing games in the summer they get two full nights with our guys so really they get one night with our guys on a Saturday night after the game um, you know and we'll go to one more meal after the game and then the player host will take those guys and then Sunday, we'll try and knock out more of our logistical stuff in terms of academics, campus tours, you know, meet with the professor, you know, having our one-on-one -on -one coaches meetings with the head coach, position coach, coach Braithwaite in the weight room, um, and just trying to showcase the rest of campus there. You know, some kids, it's, it works out pretty well if they can fly out Monday morning. But again, you know, work for the parents might get in the way, so we may have to fly them back late Sunday night. So it can be pretty condensed. Um, but to get them around just Kinnick Stadium, the energy, the atmosphere, and let them really take in and feel what it's like to be here on a Saturday and just see what it's like, it's, it's always special to do. Um, just the, the, only, the only drawback and downside of game weekends is just the time with our staff and players is, is 
you know, it's just it's shortened up a little bit more than it would be in the summer. But um, we certainly try and roll out the red carpet, obviously, for them and try and showcase everything we can in the 36 hour window. But obviously, being able to see Kenick is, is a selling point without a doubt. And just seeing the products we have on the field is always a good thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I'm excited. I think it'll be fun to like see college football, especially Big Ten college oh, yeah. person. Uh, I have seen Big Ten, but Northwestern is a little different. Okay. But <laughs> I'm excited to see Kinnick, which is, has a lot of tradition uh, from what I've heard. It should um, be rocking on September 4th. There's no doubt about that. Well, and it's right off the bat, you've got a Big Ten opener. I mean, would you prefer to have recruits come in for, like, those Big Ten games? Or are you, like, a little worried because, like, what if they lose, you know? or Nah, no, we're confident. (laughs) Just getting them here, we'll we'll have them whenever we can get them. But, you know, typically our bigger bigger crowds of recruits are for the bigger games. You know, obviously the the Big Ten games and, you know, like Penn State, we have Penn State at home this year. That'll probably be a highly attended game. And, um, you know, the atmosphere is always good in Kinnick Stadium, no matter who we're playing. But there, there is sometimes there's a little extra juice in the stadium when you got to open up with a ranked Big Ten opponent. You know, that's, uh, that'll be pretty fun. Yeah, for sure. Well, Tyler, I want to thank you for coming on the On Iowa podcast, giving us a little inside look at your job. And, Absolutely. Yeah. I appreciate you having me. Awesome. Well, thank you.